I'm, today I'm going to be talking about ethical sex and how it relates to myself and the multitudes. I'm going to start off correctly discussing consent and consensual sex. SutterHealth.org. This is the sexual health section. Teens participating in the summer wellness programs brought to you by the Palo Alto Medical Foundation. Nancy L. Brown, PhD, Dr. Brown, is also affiliated with the Palo Alto Medical Foundation. The issue of consensual sex is often only brought up when there is some sort of doubt about whether both people engaging in sex want it to happen. However, consent is a topic that should be discussed whenever you're thinking about a possible sexual encounter. In fact, consent should be the basis for every sexual encounter. Engaging in a sexual act without the other person's consent is considered sexual assault or rape. Every act requires consent. Even if you have been kissing, that does not mean you cannot say no to anything further. What is consent? Consent means that both people in a sexual encounter must agree to it. And either person may decide at any time that they no longer consent and want to stop the activity. Consenting to one behavior does not obligate you to consent to any other behaviors. Consenting on one occasion also does not obligate you to consent on any other occasion. Consenting means only that at this particular time, you would like to engage in this particular sexual behavior. How do you determine consent? To determine if someone is giving consent, you must be able to answer two questions. Does the person want to give consent? Is the person capable of giving consent? The easiest way to determine if a person wants to give consent is simply to ask. This eliminates the uncertainty of guessing and trying to interpret signals. Someone putting their hand on your hand might be a way of indicating that they like what you're doing or a way of indicating that they would like you to stop. The only way to be sure is to ask. A person may also give consent non-verbally by actively engaging in the sexual act. Clearly, this implied consent is more difficult to gauge. And if your partner and her partners seems to become more hesitant or uncomfortable, you should stop. Reassure your partner and her partners that you don't want to do anything they that they also don't want to do and ask them what's wrong. What if a person does not slash cannot give consent? Above all, if your partner and her partners ever says no during sex or asks you to stop, you must stop immediately. Saying no should never be treated as a game or as a signal that someone is quote-unquote playing hard to get. Simply put, no means no in any sexual encounter. Certain circumstances make it impossible for a person to legally give consent. These circumstances usually involve cases in which a person is not mentally or physically capable of choosing whether to engage in sexual behavior. For instance, if someone is drunk or high on drugs, then that person cannot give consent. This means that even if someone seems eager to engage in sexual behavior, Doing so can legally be considered sexual assault or rape if they are intoxicated. Age can also determine whether a person can legally consent to certain sexual behaviors such as intercourse, oral sex, or anal sex. 
The age at which a person can give consent varies by country and by state within the United States. Having sex with someone under the age of consent is legally considered a crime called statutory rape, even if the person under the age of consent says they wanted the sexual behavior to take place. Why should you talk to your partner and their partners? Making sure that your partner and their partners consents to a sexual encounter is one of the most important parts of having a mutually satisfying and ethical experience. Check in with yourself and your partner and their partners often to make sure that both of you, or all of you, because people do have group sex, are comfortable with what is happening and respect the feelings that each of you have. Your partner and their partners might consent to oral sex, but not to sexual intercourse, or you might consent to genital touching on one occasion, but not another. You always have the right to say no, and anytime either you or your partner and their partner says no, the other person must respect that decision. The other people must respect that decision. Even though talking beforehand does not mean that both people or all the parties involved will consent later, it makes it more likely that you and your partner and their partners will understand each other's values and feelings. Finally, if you're unsure what's right, finally, if you're unsure what rights you have in a sexual encounter, such as the right to stop giving consent and in the encounter anytime, read sexual rights. This article is so perfectly written, it screams all of my thinking, and that is all. I'm going to say about that article. Speaking of sexual rights, let's get into it. This is SutterHealth.com in the sexual health column again. Dr. Brown, Nancy L. Brown. This is the Palo Alto Medical Foundation. Teens participating in the summer wellness programs. Certain things are so basic that you are entitled to them simply for being a human being. Some of these things are related to sexuality or sexual acts, and these are known as sexual rights. If anyone questions your rights to these things, especially a sexual partner, especially sexual partners, they probably don't have your best interest in mind. Any sexual partner, any sexual partners you have also have these rights and respecting them is part of having positive sexual experiences a positive sexual experience positive sexual experiences are those that are consensual respectful and protected a sexual experience that violates someone's sexual rights is disrespectful and often non-consensual and may also be unprotected to find out more, visit the page concerning ethical sex. We're, we're going to get to ethical sex next, but we're going to stick with this one. An explanation of sexual rights. Sexual rights, the right to make your own decisions about being sexual or not, regardless of your partner's and their partner's wishes. The explanation is for that one. This means that you can choose not to be sexual, even if your partner would like you to be sexual. This includes deciding not to be sexual with someone and or others you have been sexual with before. The right to make your own decisions about birth control and protection from sexually transmitted infections, STIs, and sexually transmitted diseases, STDs, regardless of your partner and your partner's wishes. The right to make free and responsible reproductive choices. This means that you can choose whether to use birth control and decide how to protect yourself. Making Responsible reproductive choices also involves deciding if or when you and your partner and your partners would like to have a child and or children. This includes the right to tell a partner and or partners that you will not have sex without birth control or without protection from STIs and STDs. Pregnancies and sexually transmitted infections and sexually transmitted diseases shouldn't quote unquote just happen. 
The right to stop sexual activity at any time, including during or just before intercourse. This includes the right to make your own decisions about sexual activity, but it's important to remember that being sexual is not an all or nothing deal. There are several levels of sexual activity. You can decide what you are comfortable with and engage in only those activities you want to participate in. The right to tell anyone that you are not comfortable being hugged or kissed in certain ways. Even if someone is related to you, they cannot force you to experience affection the way that they would like. You have the right to tell your relatives and other acquaintances how you are comfortable expressing affection. The right to ask a partner and their partners if they have been examined for sexually transmitted infections and diseases. Asking a partner and or, and or partners about STIs and STDs doesn't mean you're accusing them of anything. It means you're being a responsible sexual person. The right to tell a partner what you would like sexually or to tell a partner that you would like to be hugged, cuddled, or touched without sex. This means you have the right to talk to your partner and or partners about your wants and needs. It includes the right to tell a partner and or partners they are being too rough and the right to be sensual without being sexual. The right to masturbate. You have the right to give yourself sexual pleasure. It's not dirty, it's not wrong, and it's not shameful. Your partner and her partners does not have the right to tell you not to masturbate. They do not have the right to tell you not to masturbate. The right to sexual autonomy, sexual integrity, and safety of your sexual body. This means you have the right to make decisions about your sexual life according to your own values. You have the right to be sexual without violence of any sort. The right to sexual privacy. This means you have the right to make your own decisions about sex as long as your decisions don't interfere with the sexual rights of others. I dare say, and as long as your decisions also don't interfere with the sexual rights of yourself. This also includes the right to be examined by a doctor for sexual concerns without the doctor sharing that information with other people, except in extreme circumstances like abuse. This is what I also had. The right to sexual privacy also means to me, you have the right to have a sexual life that is protected, respected, responsible, positive sex, if you will. And you also, within that context, within that framework, you have the right to have sex and other people not know. If you don't want your partner and their partners to tell anyone, not a person and not people, that is a part of the sexual privacy right as well. You both and all the parties involved, whether it's two people, sex, or group sex, in either equation, y'all, you all have to agree on who knows about what happened sexually, who doesn't know what happened sexually, how much they know what happened sexually, how much they don't know what happened sexually. That is a part of the right to sexual privacy as well, including what the naked bodies and the half-naked bodies of all the sexual partners involved look like as well. And and whether you're going to be graphic or not, the capacity for being graphic or not, all the sexual partners involved have to mutually agree on all those things. The right to sexual equity. This means you have the right not to be discriminated against based on gender, sexual orientation, age, race, social class, religion, or physical and emotional disability. However, the sexual decisions you can make may be limited by these factors if they influence your capability to consent. For instance, a small child cannot give informed consent to anything sexual because they do not understand what that means. So we already talked about the understanding consent and sex understanding consent and consensual sex. I also want to say when it comes to the right to sexual privacy, 
that that means no ridiculing the person's naked body. No ridiculing the person's half-naked body. And that also means no ridiculing the person's sexual expressions and their hows of the sexual expressions. This is also what I'm saying. It means that all the sexual partners involved with the two people group sex, no making fun of each other's naked bodies, no making fun of each other's half-naked bodies, and no making fun of each other's uh, hows of sexual expression and sexual expressions, okay? The right to sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure isn't shameful. It's a natural part of being human. You need to make responsible sexual choices, but these can definitely include having sexual pleasure in your life. The right to emotional sexual expression. This means you have the right to express your sexuality in any way you choose, including communication, touch, emotions, and love, not just through sexual acts. The right to comprehensive sexuality education. You have the right to be educated about sexuality. Education can help you make safer sexual decisions and know when to seek help should problems arise. The right to sexual information based upon scientific inquiry. This means that ethical studies of sexuality should be conducted and the information gained from these studies should be available. The right to sexual health care. You have the right to be treated for any sexual problems you might have and to get preventative care to keep you healthy. You shouldn't be prevented from receiving this care because of sexual orientation, disability status, race, class, age, or other factors. Every state has laws about who can receive confidential reproductive services. Find out what the laws are in your state and city. It is important to remember that although you have all these rights, your parents, siblings, doctors, and other trusted adults can still help you make good decisions about sexuality. They can provide valuable information and perspectives to help you as you begin making uh, sexual decisions. Sometimes you have to seek out information. This website is a good place to start, and the adults in your life or your siblings might have other suggestions for how to find accurate information. Also, if you have any sexual difficulties, you should seek a um, sex coach, sex therapist. Um, and trained professionals in the realm of sex, sex and sexuality. And so those articles are so, that other article was so perfectly written that it screams all my thinking. And so let's go to another one. We're, we're out, we absolutely are going to be discussing, um, Ethical sex. Sutterhealth.com, sexual health column, Dr. Brown, and, and um, Anna Rafferty, college student writer. Ethical sex sounds complicated and a bit difficult, but if you choose to be sexual, you should aim for ethical sex. It's actually not as complicated as it sounds. At a recent lecture, I attended sexuality in the 21st century and beyond. Adolescence's behaviors and belief, be, behavior and beliefs. The following basics for what ethical or positive sex is were agreed upon. Ethical sex is consensual, respectful, and protected. What do you need in order to have ethical sex? You need to know and be comfortable with your own body. This helps you to determine what you are comfortable consenting to and gives you an understanding of what you might like from your partner and their partners. You need to be comfortable with your own sexuality and be able to experience sexual pleasure without guilt or shame. 
If you're ashamed of being sexual, you might not plan ahead for sex or might be less respectful of your partners and their partner and their sexuality. This works against having both protected and respectful sex. You need to be assertive about your sexuality. If you aren't able to be assertive about what you would like to do and what you would not like to do, it's harder to have truly consensual sex. You need to have respect for each other's values. You need to have respect for others' values. You need to have respect for your own values. Your partner and their partners may not share the same values or beliefs about sex as you do, and they may be more or less comfortable with different ways of expressing sexuality due to those values. To have respectful sex, you need to respect those values. You need to understand your own needs and your partner's needs. Understanding your own needs helps you express them to your partner and or partners, allowing them to be respectful of you. And understanding your partner's needs allows you to respect those needs and thus be respectful of them. You need to understand what you're looking for in a sexual experience. Are you having sex because you care about the other person, because you want sexual pleasure, because you want the other person to care about you or for some other reasons, because you want the other people to care about you? Question mark, right? Part of of respectful sex is being respectful to yourself by acknowledging what you want and honestly honestly evaluating whether sex is the best method to obtain it. Depending on your goal, you might also need to think about whether acting on that goal through sex is respectful to your partner and their partners. You need to be able to communicate with a sexual partner and their sexual partners in sexual terms. If you aren't aren't comfortable talking to your partner and their partners about protection and other aspects of sexuality, it's harder for the sex to be well protected and also harder for it to be respectful. You need to be able to express your sexuality without exploiting others or being violent toward others. Being violent towards someone is never ethical sex. If you aren't able to listen to your partner and their partners and respect what they're comfortable with, then you can't have consensual or respectful sex. You need to be able to protect yourself and your partner and their partners from sexually transmitted infections, STIs. If you don't have both knowledge about STIs and STDs and ways to protect yourself from STIs and STDs such as condoms or dental dams, D-A-M-S, you can't have protected sex. I'll also add some things. Respect each other's values, beliefs, needs, and wants when it comes to sex and sexuality, nudity and half nudity. Do not exploit yourself. Do not exploit others. Do not be violent towards yourself. Do not be violent towards others. Um, Be self-consensual, self-respectful, and self-protective when it comes to your own sex and sexuality. That way you will have a partner or partners who is honoring you through being ethical towards your sex and sexuality, through being respectful of your sex and sexuality, being protective of your sex and sexuality, and consent being a requirement when it comes to your sex and sexuality. Um, These articles screams all of my thinking. I have a healthy body image. Um, I appreciate my naked body. I appreciate my half-naked body. And obviously, I appreciate my fully clothed body as well. But of all the other words, um, and this article screams my thinking... I, I, you know, I'm a person who has ethical sex. Um, I'm a person who has consent and consensual sex. I'm a person who honors all the sexual rights of myself and others. 
and my ethical sex is consensual, respectful, and protected. And I do um, have positive sex. I have positive sexual experiences. Okay, now we're going to go to one last article about ethical sex. This should be It's it I, I'm really glad I'm doing this because we hear so much about the animalistic part of sex, but we don't think about what it truly means actually this won't be the last article I misspoken let's do this uh stltoday.com St. Louis Post-Dispatch okay what is ethical sex Kate Love Lady October 30th 2014 these are her words and I'm gonna just tell you what I think about her words as a religious humanist, I support full civil rights for the LGBTQI plus community. I agree 100% with her. The right of women to control their own reproductive health. I agree 100% with her. And the right of young people to be given complete and accurate education about their own bodies. I agree 100% with her. But I found that arguing for these positions using research, science, or human rights is most often a waste of breath. That is true. Religious conservatives and their allies continue to to try to restrict the sexual liberty of Americans. That is true. And mainstream citizens continue to let them. That is true. Although we would never let a religious minority impose its views on how everyone should dress, eat, or practice our faiths. Or, I'll add, or live out our non-faiths. All the above are true. Why, why will we not stand up for rights related to sexuality? Brilliant question. I think it's in part because even the 21st century we're still embarrassed about sex. Quite a fact, F-A-C-T. So I would like to speak out for the belief that sex for pleasure is a human good. I stand with her on that. Good sex increases human happiness and lowers depression. The medical world says it's true. So it's true. It strengthens and deepens intimate relationships and helps people live longer and healthier lives. That is true. Like every other aspect of human life, sex needs to be approached with knowledge, thoughtfulness, and compassion for ourselves and others. It's not trivial. I give her an A-plus for that statement. But sex for pleasure is a human good that deserves to be celebrated and made even more healthy and positive. Correct. Sex is not just for procreation. Correct. And non-procreative sex is not an unfortunate vice that deserves to be forbidden, correct, or punished by disease, correct, an unwanted pregnancy, correct. If the only purpose of human sex was to produce children, human sexuality would be very different, correct. People would only want to have sex when women are fertile, as in most other species, correct. Women and men who are attracted to them and the LGBTQ plus community, all correct, would have zero interest in sex after menopause while pregnant. Correct. Ovulation would be obvious rather than requiring a course in natural family planning and a digital thermometer to detect. Correct. We would have no interest in forms of sexual pleasure other than intercourse. Correct. LGBTQI plus um, needs and wants wouldn't be widespread. 
Since none of these things are true, that I'm glad she said that, then clearly human sexuality has many more facets than procreation. Everywhere she said. Yeah, correct, correct, correct. Sex for pleasure is a human good. Correct. Sex is more than one mechanical act to carry on genetic codes. Correct. Again, sex is more than one mechanical act to carry on genetic codes. Correct. Sex is a multifaceted expression of love, lust. We got to include the casual community in this. Relatedness and central joy at being alive and embodied. All correct. And conversely, the insistence that sex is only or even primarily for procreation de-emphasizes the ethical relational aspects of sex. Correct. One of the reasons humanists, like me, oppose abstinence-only education is that it hurts not only young people's health, but also young people's relationship skills because it too often turns sexuality into a black and white decision whether or not to have sex, in quotations, rather than teaching young people how to decide what kind of activities are appropriate and positive for each unique person in a relationship with another unique person, what will help them bring out the best in each other and in, and in themselves. All the above are extremely correct. And when we're out of school, what are adults taught about sex by American culture? Another brilliant question. What we usually hear through mainstream media is that we're not doing it right or enough or that our kids are doing it too much. We're told about rapists and predators rapists and predators about sex scandals that destroy relationships and careers she is making genius remarks by the way with what she just said those are genius remarks when do we when do we hear anything truly positive about sex i'm very grateful for her inquiry Imagine a news anchor announcing last night two area residents carried out pleasurable sexual activities that enhanced the closeness of their relationship and improved their cardiovascular health. The station would probably be fined by the FCC for obscenity. I breathe a sigh of disappointment on that one. When What do we actually need What do we actually need to hear about sex? I love that question. We need to know what the qualities are of positive ethical sex. Here's my list. Ethical sex is any consensual sexual activity that affirms worth and dignity and strengthens relationships that increases people's self-esteem and respect for each other and ability to love and be loved that increases human happiness. Okay, we already know what love means if you're romantic. But if you're not romantic, casual, altruistic love, being compassionate about the person and their persons, empathy in, in layperson's terms. And I agree with everything she just said, by the way. Happy people do more good in the world than unhappy people. That is self-explanatory. Good sex is not only the Good sex is not the only path to happiness, but it helps. That is also self-explanatory. Unethical sex, therefore, is any sexual activity that is coercive, that is harmful to the people involved, that lowers self-esteem, that that, that decreases trust and relationship ties, that damages relationships and personal growth. Unethical sex makes people doubt their own worth and dignity or that of another. It brings out the worst in everyone. She is, extru- she is severely correct on all those words she said. No, none of these features of ethical and, un- un- and unethical sex are specific to particular sex acts, to marital status, gender, sexual orientation, sex characteristics, or age. Ethical sex honors difference in diversity and uniqueness of individuals. Ethical sex requires us to think and feel deeply to determine how to honor our values. It's not a black and white list of good and bad, moral and immoral. Human life, sexuality, and ethics are more complicated than that. 
Kate Lovelady is a genius and her thoughts on sex are genius. And I agree with every word she said strongly, 100%. She is supremely correct. One more and then we're going to be done with this episode. Here we go. Public seminar. Public seminar. What makes for ethical sex? The status of the quote, the status of the other in heterosex. January thirty first, two thousand eighteen. Allie Shames Dawson, graduate student in clinical psychology at the New School for Social Research. On February eighth, two thousand eighteen, the New School hosts an event titled "Sexual Harassment and Assault." Eros, Power, Violation, and Consent. Psychologist Jeremy Safran will moderate a panel featuring Luke Aaron and Adrian Harris from NYU postdoctoral program in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis. Katie Gentile from John Jay College of Criminal Justice and Lisa Rubin and Ali James Dawson from the New School for Social Research who together will creatively engage depressing ethical, political, and psychological questions arising from the hashtag MeToo movement. This panel is meant to sketch rather than answer the most significant questions this moment brings to the fore before transitioning into workshop-style breakout groups. In the weeks leading up to the event, we will host contributions from the panelists and we invite readers to submit responses via submissions at publicseminar.org and to participate in the event on February 8th, registration and more details here. The event will not be filmed. Below is our third piece from Ollie Shames Dawson. In preparation for the upcoming panel workshop, I have chosen some texts that I believe offer important framing for thinking about what we are witnessing in the hashtag MeToo movement and backlash, in particular, the aspects of normative sexual practices that many people just can't seem to make sense of. Was there force? Consent? Was there force? Question mark. Consent? Question mark. How do we know? Question mark. Is being an asshole the same thing as being a predator? Where is the line? Where is desire? What is desire? And... On whom does the ethical burden fall? He who asks for demands a sexual act or she who must accept or decline? How free is she really to decline? As usual, what is lost in the public discussion is nuance and what takes place and what takes its place is polarizing language. Rumblings of gender warfare and often villainization. The sorely disappointing and holy W-H-O-L-L-Y. Unsurprising as this and Sarai encounter, no matter where you stand on the issue, seems to be one of the toughest for us to collectively digest, in large part because people don't know what to make of the role of agency responsibility on the part of the woman involved, nor what it means that and Sari's behavior feels so familiar, so normal. I am inclined to invoke the very first line of McKinnon's 1989 Tome toward a feminist theory on the state. She writes, sexuality is to feminism what work is to Marxism. Sexuality is to feminism what work is to Marxism. That which is most one's own yet most taken away. While I yet maintain hope for the carving out of sexual agency, even within intersecting vectors of oppression, Ritzer 2007, Tolman Anderson, and Belmont 2015, I don't think we can overstate the relevance of McKinnon's claim. Socially approved female sexuality within the machinery of compulsive heterosexuality is first and foremost a response to male desire calling into question the hetero of heterosexuality if male fantasies of sexual pleasure sat if sorry if male fantasies of sexual pleasure slash desire dominate the intersubjective field where is the other in their woman risk and aids project in the late 1980s 
Colin Ramenazoglu, Sharpen Thompson, 2004, interviewed 148 young women in the UK and reported finding no evidence of positive independent female sexual subjectivity. What they found instead was negative slash passive or unknowing slash acted upon. That is, women articulated their sexual experiences absent of desire of their own and wholly responsive to the dictates of the male partner. They called this the male in the head. Notably, there was no corresponding female in the head of their male interviewees. While this too perhaps lacks some nuance and has been roundly critiqued, really? No evidence? None? What we might call authentic sexual subjectivity or sexual empowerment in girls and young women, that too has been roundly debated, Lamon Peterson, 2011, is rightly classified as something that is one, or if it was ours to begin with, one back. Let me be clear, it is a be- it is a bittersweet victory, because women in pursuit of pleasure who draw their own boundaries and name and claim their desires are often punished one way or, or another. I also add, and women who name and claim their own bodies are often punished too, one way or another. Wow. If, he, if a woman name and claims her desires, and if a woman name and claims her bodies, and if a woman name and claims her own boundaries that she draws... Are there it, all the above are often punished one way or another? Tolman, 2002, Infanter, Rutman, and Skesney, 2016. And it's not far fetched to conclude we do not first and foremost belong to ourselves, no matter what anyone tells us. Nor do I claim that this phenomenon is bounded by gender or sexual orientation or sex characteristics, but that is another topic for another day. Never mind that most notions of agency, at least in, in popular currency, rely on neoliberal expressions of the Cartesian subject. Rational free autonomous. Never mind that so-called discursive possibilities of what we might just call our options are generated from within relational context. How someone responds to us recalibrates what we regard as potential avenues for action Never mind that, why didn't she just leave, erases the complexity of human experience, the strange crossbreed of desire and doubt of the socially enforced suppression of our read women's spontaneous reactions. The setting in of confusion once an attempt at boundary setting is met with a challenge. What is it that I did want? Is that what I want? What is it that I did need? Is that what I need? Let me choke on your finger and feebly half resist while I try to think this through. My brief post here is motivated by some of the questions that represent our collective difficulty with nuance and with notions of responsibility, with allowing others to be other than we are, especially our often blunt ignorance about the workings of gender oppression. Why didn't she just leave is perhaps the most salient question coming from the Ansari event from both Grace's critics as well as from her supporters who share various shades of skepticism, albeit a bit more privately. Many of them are grappling with the question in slightly adjusted form. Why didn't I just leave? More of the assault or bad sex debate ties into this question and in fact produces it as people crying out for more precise language, so I offer something here to address that plea as well. See how much other time I got. Let me keep going. Um, all right, I'm going to just go for it. Um, and whatever I don't get to say, I'll put it in my episode description, so just read, so just read that. Though a discourse analysis of interviews with Australian women aged 18 to 24, Birkin and Hamilton, okay, 
2012 detailed the ways in which just say no is an adequate prescription for women given the contradictions in social messaging and norms that characterize sexual encounters in our cultural mo- moment. In particular, they tell how uh, ne- neoliberal ideals of free choice and autonomy inform post-feminist ideology of sexual empowerment while masking enduring gender inequalities. Borrowing language from Angela McRobbie, 2009, and Rosalind Jill, 2007, they describe post-feminist sensibility as confused between a belief in women's natural right to sexual agency and related mandate of personal responsibility and women's condemnation of themselves and other women who cannot seem to control their sexual encounters with men. Despite this public celebration of women's free choice and sexual assertiveness, unwanted pressure Course sexual activity remains common and normalized, which makes it difficult, if not impossible, to realize the norms of sexual freedom that supposedly are theirs to lose. They conclude that these features flatten the continuing complexities of the process of consent, which is dominated by myths and assumptions that implicitly constrain women's possibilities for choice and action. To the question of the line demarcating sexual assault from bad sex, Anne Cahill offers the classification of unjust sex, elaborating an idea offered by Nicola Gavi, 2005, to begin to account for the so-called gray area that fills in the space between sexual violence and ethical sex. It is this space that Gavi, 2005, identifies the cultural scaffolding of rape, where women's sexual choices or sense of agency is impinged upon within what otherwise appears on the surface like consensual sex. These cases seem to be marked by the presence of an ambivalent or split will on the part of the woman. For Gavi, Cahill points out these are not instances of acknowledged sexual assault, but illuminate the problematic of normative heterosexual practices which emphasize male sexual aggression and female submission. These features make for unjust sex which while distinct from rape having common with sexual violence the disregard for women's sexual desires. Cahill makes an argument that the ethical quality of an interaction is not whether or not each party wanted it, but the degree to which each party's desire had capacity to affect in a meaningful way the quality and nature of the interaction. Cahill's article is especially important because the attention paid to how... Um, the behaviors, actions, and intentions of the people involved have a role in shaping the other's sexual subjectivity and consequently their sense of rights and possibilities. When one party's desires disproportionately direct the encounter, we have unethical sex, if not sexual misconduct proper. Most notably, perhaps in what Cahill dubs the crucial question of uptake, whether or not a no or the lack thereof is even recognized as meaningful. Cahill adeptly addresses the distortion she calls it hijacking of sexual agency that occurs when consent becomes the only legible response which she argues distinguishes it from rape whereas the goal of rape is to take away agency altogether unethical sex spends the agency of one toward an end determined by another note pages 10 through 12 are especially relevant to limiting how ansari's behavior narrowed the woman's sexual agency um, but she says it didn't take it away. Um, nobody's asking for sex denunded of risk, vulnerability, or even the erotic play of power and aggression. That would be impossible, if not impossibly dull. But as long as one part is disproportionately at risk, disproportionately vulnerable, disproportionately made to shrink and feel confused by aggression or pressure by rep- uh, by repetitious appeals, I think we can all recognize that we've got a problem. If we want ethical sex, sex that doesn't make us go, hmm, was that assault or yes, better sex, then we have better figure out how to let the other person in the room with us actually be another person in the room with us. And lastly, both... Um, Burkett and Hamilton, 2012, and Cahill, 2016, call attention to, to how norms condition possibilities for action in Cahill, 2016. In particular, elucidates how one partner's responses can either expand or delimit 
the other's agentic capacity. Bryant and Schofield, and Schofield 2007, add to this a series of rich qualitative accounts that both vivify and challenge these perspectives. Using what is called life history methodology, they collect stories of women's sexual identity development, which highlight how agency and meaning evolve through time, practice, and experience in conversation with culture and generational context. In, in so doing, they cast tremendous light on the dense intersubjective tangle that can teach a woman what she can and cannot say, do, or hope for. One particularly poignant account tells of a woman's discovering for the first time that her no was meaningful. Prior to that encounter, she'd come to learn that setting limits only meant eventually giving in because no, no partner had ever let her know mean no. With a partner that honored her boundaries, she found new ground for sexual exploration and expression. Simple an example, though, it may be I've yet to come across a more powerful rendering of how others' responses to us condition what we expect and accept for ourselves. And this is basically how I feel. I think that people should be clear and upfront about um, urges and desires and from the standpoints of honor and reverence um, that eliminates the gray areas if people actually just are fully honest with each other in um, kind-hearted ways, of course. Um, I think that um, there was something that was said that I need to go back and... Yes, people should have free choice and autonomy. No means no. It is a complete sentence. Um... The whole, why didn't I just leave? Why didn't you just leave? Those are bullshit questions, fucked up questions, and they should not be asked because it's so goddamn insulting. Um, I dare say that, yes, it should also be rational. Absolutely. The sexual interactions before, during, after all should be rational, free, and autonomous. Yes. I also want to say that women should be independent in their sexuality, not just men, including members of the LGBT clubhouse community. That's true. And that people should be Drawing their own boundaries and naming and claiming their wants, needs, naked bodies, half-naked bodies, fully clothed bodies. I I am in full support of those things. And I think that um, sexual assertiveness should be a every sexual encounter quality. All sex partners involved should be of sexual assertiveness, yes. Um, unwanted pressure course sexual activity should be against the law and criminal and worthy of imprisonment and prosecution everywhere on, on the planet earth um No sexual violence and yes, ethical sex. Um, I think with Cahill, I think that I have a slight disagreement with her. Um, I think that um, the ethical quality is both the. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Ooh, I'm about to be done. Cool. I get to say all I want in six minutes. Cool. All right. I have a slight disagreement with Cahill because he said, you know, the ethical quality of interaction, not whether or not each party wanted it, that I, I, I disagree. I think that the ethical quality of an interaction is whether each party wanted it. But I do agree with what she says, but the degree to which each party's desire has the capacity to affect in a meaningful way the quality nature of the interaction. Both are ethical qualities of the interactions. In this case, we're talking about sex here. So both. 
Um, and all these things mean a lot to me um, as a person who has experienced a, a uh, sex crimes as a child, all these concepts mean the universe to me. So we have to respect the time, practice, and experience in conversations within cultural generational context. What that means is we have to be concerned about how people are sexually shaped. I'm talking about Are people knowing how to be ethical or sex or not? Are people being unethical in their sex or not? Those, those, that's what I mean in layperson's terms. Um, and yes, the partners we have sex with are other people and, and another person. They're both in the rooms and or room with us. Um... And we have to keep in mind people's senses of rights and positive rights and positive possibilities relating to sex, right? Um, And, you know, erotic play of power and aggression. Consensual sexual role-playing is the only context that is worthy of that. No unjust sex. But we're going to have just sex. Justice. Consensual sex only, non-consensual sex, that's rape, the sexual assault, strictly forbidden. All, uh, no bad sex either. Try to make sure I dress properly. Um, sexual empowerment, great. Uh, authentic sexual subjectivity, great. Um... Positive, independent female sexual subjectivity, great. Um, women don't need anyone to approve of their own sexuality and sex. Women do that for themselves. As for the particular case they're talking about, um, I'll just say that I never victim shame. I never victim blame. Um, I don't minimize nor downplay what happens to people who have been victimized. Um... I dare say that I do not like the statutory limitations when it comes to rape because we don't have that when it comes to other crimes, especially murder. I think that's hypocritical, so that should be done away with. Um, I hate false accusations, and I think if you make a false accusation, you should serve the same amount of time that the that real rape is served. Um, but the majority of victims, uh, not nine times out of 10 are truth tellers. So I'm just talking about those rarity cases. I'm not calling anybody a liar. I'm not demeaning anybody's character. I just want that to be said. But, um, as I close out, I just want to say, um, When it comes to sexual encounters, no assholes and no predators. And that is how I truly feel. In closing, I say that when it comes to sex myself, I am a full body explorer and I'm a full soul explorer. That means that I use my 
being an empath of empathy along with using my hands, my mouth, my teeth, my tongue, my lips, my eyes, my genitals, my testicles, and my penis to full explore the entire bodies of my partners and they do the same to me.